If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 this morning, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 16. Now, as we look at the text this morning, my title is Pressing On Toward Maturity. Pressing on toward spiritual growth and maturity. Now, the New Testament, as you're turning there, the New Testament is filled with exhortations, with commandments for Christians to grow in their faith. When you are born again, when you come to Jesus by faith, when you are resurrected spiritually and given spiritual life, you are a spiritual infant. Even if you're 70 years old, you are a spiritual newborn in need of spiritual food so that you can grow. The Bible actually says, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So we have a spiritual relationship with God's word where God's word nourishes and feeds our soul so that we can grow. Peter would add this, he would say, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So we are to long for God's word like children or infants long for milk. And Peter would add in 2 Peter 3.18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. So God has promised that he will grow and sanctify his children. He will not leave us as spiritual infants. He will shape us and conform us to Christ. Paul's already told the church in Philippians that he who began the good work in you will do what? He will carry it on to completion. So we are works in progress, never arriving um, in this lifetime. So Paul cared deeply as we've, as, you've, as we've studied Philippians together, you should get this ethos from Paul, this feeling from Paul, that he cares deeply about the spiritual well-being of the church in Philippi. He wants them to have the mind of Christ, to walk in humility like Christ. He wants them to have the heart of Christ for the nations, for the gospel advancing and going out. He wants them to become like Jesus in every way. And as an apostle, Paul knew that he had to set the standard for them and be an example to them of spiritual growth. That's why in the last few verses of Philippians that we've studied, Paul has filled it with his personal testimony of coming out of Pharisaicalism and into Jesus, into a gospel understanding. And so Paul has given a personal test, uh, his personal testimony of receiving Christ and his passion to know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now there's something else going on here. Paul knew, and he's just explained, Paul knew that the righteousness he's received from Jesus by faith, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus, Paul knew that the righteousness he received by faith in Christ, this spiritual and inward righteousness given to him, would work itself out in his life. That if Christ's righteousness really becomes ours inwardly, there would be a process of transformation where this 
righteousness will be made visible in our lives. Or to say it another way, Paul knew that his behaviors would match his beliefs. Paul's behaviors would, be, would come out of his beliefs. Now, there's a, there's a little caveat here. Paul did not receive this righteousness by the law. Right? He says, I don't, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but by faith in Christ. So Paul knew he'd never received righteousness because of the law. And Paul knew that he wouldn't progress or grow spiritually because of the law either. He received righteousness through faith in Christ. And he would grow through continued faith in Christ and obedience to Christ. Walking in a relationship with Jesus. Now... In Paul's mind, as we're going to see in our text, I know this is a lot of introduction, but I, you have to see this. In Paul's mind, this won't be a lazy, effort-free kind of spiritual growth. It's not, it's not lazy or effort-free. The same grace and faith that saved Paul on the road to Damascus would be the same grace and faith that transformed Paul's heart, mind, and the direction of the, effort, uh, the, the efforts of his life. Paul's life is now filled with a passion to grow, a passion to grow and glorify Christ and to press on towards the finish line, to be more like Jesus day by day. That's Paul's goal. That has to be our goal as well as believers, that we might know Christ and to be more daily filled with his love, filled with his joy, filled with his kindness, filled with his humility, and filled with his holiness. Now the question is, how does Paul press on towards maturity? How does he do it? Well, I think that's what he's explaining in verses 12 through 16. So let's read the text and break it apart together. Notice in most of your Bibles, it should have a, sub, a subheading right above verse 12 that says something like straining towards the goal or pressing on towards the goal. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, any, if, any, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. So I want to break this into three parts for you. First, Paul gives a gospel evaluation. A gospel evaluation. Look at verses 12 through 13. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So the first thing that Paul does in this text is to take an honest self-evaluation. Paul looks at his own spiritual condition, and he makes a humbling and an encouraging confession. And what is that confession? He openly confesses, that he has not obtained the resurrection, and that he's not perfect. That's what he says, right? The word this in verse 12, I have not obtained this, 
goes back to verse 11 where Paul says that by any means possible he may obtain the resurrection from the dead. And then Paul adds to it, I do not consider that I've made it my own. The reason that Paul has to press on, the reason Paul is going to write through this text that he presses on towards this goal is because he hasn't obtained either one of these things. He's not obtained the resurrection and he's not obtained perfection. So Paul is still a work in progress. And so are we. That's humbling, but it's also encouraging, isn't it? To look at Paul, the super apostle who was a model of the Christian life, who would say, I've not obtained it, guys. It does not belong to me yet. Now, there were, a base, there were probably, most likely, according to scholars, there were two false teachings that were, that were spreading throughout the early church. The first, uh, Paul tackles both of them right here. The first was this. There was a teaching that the resurrection had already taken place. That it was some spiritual resurrection and that all of the Christians in Philippi and everywhere, everywhere else had missed it. That, hey, you guys have missed the resurrection. It's already happened. So Paul says here clearly, no, that's not true, right? Um, the resurrection was still a certain future hope for Paul. It's still for us a certain future hope. It's not already happened. Sec the second false teaching was that when someone came to Christ, they were made perfect and completely sinless. Now that teaching still was around today. There are groups of Christians that basically teach that once you come to Jesus, you will grow to a certain point, but you will absolutely be made perfect and sin-free. Now that's not true either. In Paul's mind, perfection and resurrection are both they're both tied together and they go in the future when we see Jesus. When we see Jesus, we will be made finally like him on that day, but not until then. We will still, in this body and in this flesh, struggle and stumble and fall towards Jesus. Now the issue here is that both of these false teachings were robbing Christians of the joy and the progress they needed in the gospel. Think about this. If the resurrection's already happened, then you, you're going to be disappointed because you've missed it. And if perfection is the standard and you, and you haven't reached it, you're going to be absolutely disappointed and you're not going to feel like there's anything left for you. But the gospel teaches something completely different. See, the gospel teaches us that we are all sinful and broken. That's a good place for a amen. There's none righteous, none, not one. All of us are sinful and broken. We are messes of brokenness. But the gospel goes on to say that Jesus entered into our brokenness to redeem us, to offer us eternal life. So our hope isn't to be made perfect in this life. Our hope is in the future. For now, we press on. We walk with Jesus by faith. We endure struggles and suffering so that we can be made more like him. And that process will not stop until death. We will never arrive at perfection in this lifetime. Listen, I heard one preacher say it this way. He says, I know a lot of Christians that no longer struggle with sin. They just all happen to be in the cemetery. That's where they all are. That's when you stop, okay? As long as you are breathing, as long as your heart is beating, you are going to battle sin day by day. You are still going to struggle. Every sin, every stumble, 
every struggle reminds us daily of our need of Jesus' grace and mercy. I didn't just need Jesus' grace and mercy when I became a Christian when I was 14. I need it as much or more every single day. Every day I have to be reminded of the gospel truth that I have not arrived and I'm still pressing on towards the goal. I'm still walking with Jesus, struggling and stumbling to be and praying, God, make me more like him. Take away these sinful desires in me so that I might be more like my Savior. Now notice the gospel truth at the bottom of Paul's evaluation here. So Paul evaluates himself, but notice the truth at the bottom of it. Paul says he presses on towards maturity. Why? Because Jesus has made him his own. Just let that sink in. Paul says, I press on because I belong to Jesus. I, Paul, Paul says, Christ has made me his own. So Paul knows that these things are already his in Jesus. Now, here's what that means for us. Think about Paul taking a gospel evaluation. If Paul can be honest about his own shortcomings and failings as an apostle, as one who saw Jesus, so can we. If, if Paul can be honest about his shortcomings, so can we. You don't have to put on this face that everything is okay and you're walking in perfect obedience to Jesus. Because you're not. Quit lying to people. Amen? Quit acting as though you have to be perfect all the time. We're strugglers. Be honest about it. The hospital, I mean, the, the church isn't a place, is, is it like a... What's the saying that people always say? The cliche, but it's the truth. The hospital, the, the church is a place. It, this is why I read my notes, by the way. This is the reason why I read my notes. The church is a hospital for sinners. It's not, this isn't a, a resort for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. We're strugglers together. So, notice Paul here. If Paul, Paul wasn't trying to impress anyone with his self-righteousness anymore. He doesn't boast in his flesh anymore. He boasts in Jesus. When Paul looks at himself in light of Christ, he honestly knows he falls short. But at the same time, he rejoices because Jesus is everything that he needs. I don't need my own self-righteousness. I just need Jesus. Again, if Paul can admit he falls short, then how can we be apathetic or satisfied with our own spiritual growth. Growth in Christ, hear me, growth in Christ requires humility to know there needs to be improvement. This is like learning any subject or skill. The person who arrives thinking they know everything will never learn and never grow. You see this all the time in students at school. You see this all the time in those that play instruments and those that play sports. If you show up thinking you know everything, then what good is a coach? What good is your teacher? What good is it, right? If you have, if Christian, it's the same with Christians. If we, when we come to the Bible, there requires a level of humility. When we come to church, there requires a level of humility. If you have no room for growth, then I guess you're perfect. And if that's the case... Me and you should swap spots right now. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of room for spiritual growth in your pastor. Now that's a good place for an amen. Amen. There is. So first thing Paul does is he takes an honest gospel self-evaluation. You need to do that too. And you need to recognize that there's still a lot of room for growth in your life spiritually. 
Second thing Paul does here is Paul talks about a Christ-glorifying effort. Christ-glorifying effort. Look at verse, the end of verses 13 and 14. He says, but one thing I do, after he takes this honest self-evaluation, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So after Paul confesses his own shortcomings, his own lack of perfection, he tells us what he continues to do to grow. So what does he do? He says there's one thing that he does. He has this single-eyed focus, um, this concentration. He says, I, I have this one thing that I do, but it includes two parts. What's the first part? The first part, Paul says, I forget what lies behind. I forget what lies behind. So Paul doesn't live in the past. Now, let me say, this doesn't mean he forgets about Jesus' work in his life. Paul remembers what it was like to be a Pharisee and what it was like to be apart from Jesus. That's not what he's forgetting about. Paul doesn't forget about Jesus' work in his life, or he doesn't, and he doesn't forget about the daily mercies of God throughout his life. What it means is that Paul doesn't allow his past failures, his past struggles, to define or determine his daily walk with Jesus. Do you hear that? The enemy wants to paralyze us in the guilt and shame of our past. All of us in here carry skeletons in the closet. All of us in here have done horrible, wicked things. And many of them, I would say, we've done since we've become believers. All of us have things, a sordid past, and things, even things maybe we don't want people to know about. All of us have things, and what the enemy wants to do is to paralyze you in the guilt and shame of your past. And Paul says that all of that was cast off at the cross. All of that was left at the foot of the cross. Jesus has accepted us and forgiven us by faith. So hear me, if Jesus has done that, then shame cannot save you. Shame can't do it. You think, well, if I just feel worse about my sin, Jesus will love me more. Nope, that's not how it works. Shame, shame can't save you, and guilt cannot reconcile you to God. Guilt does not commend you to God. That's what Jesus does. So what good does it do us to be paralyzed in the past? Jesus has forgiven us, and we are called to walk with him in the freedom that is given to us in the gospel. Yes, we struggle and we fail. That's why we can be honest about it. But at the same time, it is Jesus who has accepted us by his grace and faith. The second part that Paul does, he says, so I forget what's behind me. I don't care about that. I press on towards the goal with his eyes fixed on Christ calling him upward. Notice what Paul says there, that I'm pressing on towards the goal. Christ isn't calling Paul backwards. He's not calling Paul back to those moments of struggle and sin and shame and failing. No, no, no. He's not calling Paul, uh, Christ isn't calling Paul backwards or downwards, but upward and forward. Paul loads this text with athletic language. Notice the words. He says twice, I press on. He strains forward like a runner leaning into his stride. This, was, this requires great effort. I'm reminded here of racehorses, for those of you that play the ponies. Racehorses. If you ever notice, racehorses wear blinders. And they do this because it forces them to stay on track. 
They don't look back and get frightened. They don't look side to side to see what's happening to them. This allows them to focus on the finish line in front of them to run forward without being frightened or distracted. Now notice Paul's language. Paul isn't out taking a stroll. He's not drifting. He's not putting along. He's not like a a boat at sea that's just being tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves. He is straining with incredible effort. He has his oars in the water and he is rowing towards the prize. He has his eyes fixed on the goal and he is sprinting towards it. Now, Paul has to do this because there is resistance. We know this if you're a Christian, right? There is always resistance and difficulty. If you are straining towards Jesus, everything is going to be against you. Your flesh wants to hinder you. Your sinful desires want to distract you. The the enemy will attack you. There will be people who will hate you. And Paul is being very realistic about the spiritual strain. But his eyes are fixed ahead so that he can see the finish line. He's not weaving side to side. He's grinding out the last rep to keep with the athletic metaphor. He is running the drill to the end. He's giving it all of his effort until Jesus blows the final whistle. He's not on the sidelines. He's not sitting on the bench. He's not taking a break. He's not out of season. He's pressing on with Christ-glorifying effort. Let me just say that for many of us in this room, our spiritual condition, our current spiritual condition, is due to a lack of effort. You're lazy. I'm lazy. I don't have Christ-glorifying effort to press on towards the goal. Now, here's the truth, though. This is the truth you can't miss. Here's the good news, okay? I don't want to be too bad on you. I'm, I'm lazy. I'm spiritually lazy. There's, here's the truth. Paul presses on, not out of his own strength or power, but because of the grace of God at work in him. That's so important. You have to know that, that Paul's effort is not being driven by Paul, It's being driven by the grace of God in him. He says this clearly in two places. Listen to Colossians chapter 1 verse 29. Paul says, for this I toil. That sounds like effort, doesn't it? I toil, I struggle. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. So it's God's power and energy that's at work in Paul creating the effort. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, speaking of the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So what's at work in Paul? It's God's grace working in Paul to stir up his effort and passion for Christ. So that's how we have to pray Lord Jesus, stir up in me by your power a passion to grow and pursue Jesus. Father, stir up that in me. As Paul wrote to Timothy, stir up the flame that's in you. Don't let that flame go out, but stir it up. 
So here we find Paul saying that if you're going to press on towards maturity, you have to have Christ-glorifying, grace-fueled effort. It's based on the grace of God at work in us. And then finally, notice that Paul gives an assurance of growth. Paul gives an assurance of growth. So Paul presses on. He takes a gospel evaluation. I know I'm not there yet. I know I need to grow. Then he has this grace, this God-glorifying effort that's fueled by God's grace. And then Paul gives an assurance of growth. We keep pressing on because God promises we will grow. God promises it. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, let those of us who are mature, those that are spiritually growing, let those of us who are mature think this way. To press on, to strive, to strain. And then he says, and if anything, and if anything you think otherwise, I'm really struggling with my words today, guys. And if in anything you think otherwise, those that might not be as mature or think otherwise, he says, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Now remember, Paul is writing as a brother to his brothers and sisters. Paul says brothers. He calls them brothers in this text right there, uh, back in verse, verse uh, 13 and 14. He calls them brothers. So Paul isn't writing here as an authoritarian. Paul isn't writing saying, you must think this way because I'm an apostle of Christ and I write the very words of God, even though Paul could say that as an apostle. He could write with that kind of authority. Paul Paul drops gospel doctrine and he drops the hammer on false teachers all the time. He does it all throughout his other letters, but here, Paul writes to those that are growing in Christ and he gives them an assurance of God's work in their presence to bring about spiritual growth. Paul says that the mature know and understand God's work in them to grow them. And he assures them that God will do that work in other less mature believers in the congregation. This is why we pray for one another. We pray for one another to grow spiritually. We are to be patient and allow God to work maturity into our fellow brothers and sisters as we love them. As we are patient with them, as we bear with them, as we are kind to them, as we pray for them. And Paul is sure that God will do it just as he's promised. But here's the question. Here's how I want to end today's sermon. Here's the question. How does God reveal these things to the spiritually immature? Remember, Paul says, if you're mature... You're going to think this way. You're going to know that you have to press on towards maturity, that you have to strain with God, with Christ's glorifying effort. You have to press on towards the goal. You can't lag behind or go backwards. You have to strain forward. And he says, if you don't think that, God will reveal it to you. I'm sure of it. Now, how does God do that? There are at least three ways God reveals this truth to us. Number one, through his word. Through his word. We grow, as I began my sermon, through the word of God. So, as you've heard me preach today, look at what the text says. What does Paul say about pressing on towards maturity? He says it requires God-glorifying effort. You need to hear that. So if you don't think that way, hear what Paul says. Hear the word of God. We press on 
um, because God's Word says so. So as we read God's Word, study God's Word, meditate on God's Word, memorize God's Word, as we saturate our minds with God's Word, God grows us and conforms us to Christ. You have to have a daily relationship with the Word of God. If you are not spiritually mature, that's where you start. You need the milk of the Word so you can grow strong in the Word. Paul knows, by the way, that he doesn't have that kind of power or persuasion. So that's why he doesn't go on a long tirade here. He just says, you know, God's God's Word will confirm this to you. God will be the one who works this in you. You don't need your pastor to tell you this. I don't have that kind of power or persuasion either. You need to hear what God's Word says and hear it and let it sink into your heart. This is the work of God through His Word. Listen to what Paul writes in Thessalonians. He says, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. God's word does the work. Hear it. That's the first way God reveals it. The second way is through personal prayer. Through personal prayer, the mature should pray for their brothers and sisters around them to grow in their knowledge and understanding of Jesus. If you're here, if you come, to, when you come in here on Sunday mornings and you prepare your heart for worship, you need to take the time to pray for those sitting around you. Just take the moment and say, God, I pray that you would speak to them and you would bless them and you would grow them today. Not because you have this attitude of, well, they really need to hear it today, but because you have an attitude of love and care towards your fellow church members, your brothers and sisters, and say, Jesus, I I care that you speak to them even more than I care that you speak to me. Lord, be gracious to them. So we pray for one another, and God reveals his will through his word, through us praying for wisdom with one another and for one another. If you don't understand, then read God's word and ask for God's spirit to illuminate the truth for you. And Paul promises that God will show you the truth of his word by his spirit. That's good news. If you're struggling reading your Bible, then you need to pray for God's Spirit to speak. I use this prayer all the time. Lord, illumine your your word for me. God, show me in your word what you want to say. But there's a third way that we grow, that God reveals it. So through his word, through personal prayer, and through gospel community. Through gospel community, we grow by worshiping together. By serving together, by praying together in community. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. God made us to grow together in community. No Christian can become more like Christ in isolation from other believers. That's what God's Word says. If you don't think that is true, to quote Paul, God will reveal that to you also. Pray. Ask. Jesus saves us to be in community. Now I want to end with this one thought. We have a special calling and commitment to one another in our church family. Look around. This is the church that gathers on the square called First Baptist. It's not this building. It's the people. We have a special calling and commitment to one another in our church family. It's a covenantal responsibility to care for one another's soul and spiritual well-being. That's the same, that same care and covenant 
doesn't exist between me or you and people outside of our congregation, though we want everyone to know Jesus and follow him. We have a special covenant with one another. This is one of the reasons church membership matters. We are members who have promised to care for one another and nurture one another spiritually towards growth in Jesus. We have that. For those of us who are members, we've made that promise to one another. So we have a responsibility, those of us who are mature, to help one another grow. We don't do that by fussing and fighting with each other. We do that by loving each other with tenderness and care, really genuinely being concerned about the spiritual, each other's soul and spiritual well-being. So we grow. God reveals this to us through his word, through personal prayer, and through gospel community. So this morning, I want to close, I'm going to pray, then we'll have a time of invitation. Let me pray. Father, we ask today that you would draw near to us as we've opened your word. And Father, I pray that you've spoken to our hearts clearly, that all of us in here would take a gospel evaluation and recognize that we still have a long way to go spiritually. And Father, out of that, that we will have a Christ-glorifying effort Father, to read your word, to soak it in, to grow in community, Father, that is fueled by your grace. That, Father, it is a a grace-fueled effort. And then, Father, out of that, we will trust that you will grow us by your spirit, by your power. Father, help us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have time of invitation. And the first one is always this. If you don't know Jesus then the only way for you to grow spiritually is first to come to Jesus. You need to be spiritually made alive. You need to have spiritual birth. And that comes by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, come to Him for life and forgiveness. But secondly, if you're a believer, then you need to make sure you're taking your spiritual growth seriously. This morning, you might need to come and just take a knee here and say, Jesus, I have been lazy I have not been growing. I have not been in community with other believers the way I should. I have not been sharpening myself through your word. Or maybe you need to come here and pray for a family member or someone else. If if you're not a church member, then part of your spiritual growth is to take that step and be a committed covenant member who says, I am going to promise to care for the spiritual well-being of my brothers and sisters here at First Baptist. We invite you now. Brother Cliff will be here. Pastor Nick will be here. You come now as we stand and as we sing.